We're in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 23. Uh, the text is in the, in the bulletin there. And we're still in this section of John. Of course, we're, we're focusing on the red letters throughout the series, what Jesus actually said and the way Jesus lived and what he did as a way of um, conforming uh, and being modeled and shaped after Christ. And we're at that, we're still at the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, we're actually, no, we're now at the temple. But, um, Jesus, you may remember, he meets a man at this pool of Bethesda that's Hebrew for house of mercy, where we in part get our name. And this man has come and has actually received healing finally, but not from the pool. He received it from this man, Jesus. He has no idea who he is. Uh, It's the Sabbath. And so technically Jesus is breaking the law, the religious and, and the, the authority, the tradition of Judaism that was on par with the Bible. So this is, it's almost as if Jesus is breaking the law of the Bible. Um, and he's doing it very intentionally, as he will often do on the Sabbath. Uh, and so the religious leaders have showed up. They have begun persecuting him. And Jesus is now in the temple. And this is another, another day or so after. And he's kind of defending himself. Uh, against these these Jewish leaders. So let's pick up right there, verse 18. That really set them off. That is Jesus actually healing someone on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders were now not only out to expose him, they were out to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, putting himself on a level with God. So Jesus explained himself at length, I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing. Only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. But you haven't seen the half of it yet. For in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Neither he nor the Father shuts anyone out. The Father handed all authority to judge over to the Son so that the Son will be honored equally with the Father. Anyone who dishonors the Son dishonors the Father, for it was the Father's decision to put the Son in the place of honor. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so used to judges and to a system, and certainly this is true in the prison industrial complex, that is built around not rehabilitation, but retribution, punishment. We're so used to judges just meeting out retribution, and we're not used to a judge who meets out love and embrace, forgiveness and grace. So Holy Spirit, would you take us by the hand to such a judge now? No matter who we are, no matter where we come from or why we're here, even I pray that we would meet the one who isn't just judge, but is brother, who is savior, who's friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Jane, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, um, introduced this um, folk singer to me that I, I was not familiar with, and Jane knows how much I love music, and, uh, and this particular song 
um, was was uh, impactful to Jane as it has become for me too. And so she introduced this folk singer named Susan Werner that you may may be familiar with. I was not, like I said, and um, and she uh, did an entire album actually called Gospel Truth that came out in I believe in two thousand and seven, and. She has this one song on this album called, Why Is Your Heaven So Small? Why is your heaven so small? You ever met religious people who seem to have a very small heaven that is only for them (laughs) and not for you or others? I I have um, been in spaces like that for sure. And what what was intriguing about this whole album, I actually looked up an interview with her uh, over the weekend that she did with NPR. And back in 2007 when the album came out. And, and she, she is herself an agnostic, um, and she wanted to write a gospel album kind of from the outside looking in. And she, she does so, and even in the interview, you can tell how deferential she is to, to religious people, even though she is not a religious person herself. She has nothing but grace and, and just thinks that folks, even the, most, the folks that are the most rigid, that seem to be addicted to excluding people, even for them, she has grace and thinks they're well-meaning and well-intentioned. Uh, they just happen to be a part of a, a structure, she says, that is exclusive. But is it? Is that the way Christianity is supposed to be? Well, we see here with Jesus something very different. And I read the message translation uh, where, you, where it's very plain here, uh, that, yeah, although authority has been given to Jesus to judge, Jesus chooses to judge no one. <laughs> Jesus in- instead is radically inclusive as the judge of everyone. In this song, Why Is Your Heaven So Small?, you, you hear her asking honest questions that I wonder if some of us have asked before. Good questions. Let's listen to some of the lyrics of the song. Apparently, she ran into a street preacher one day, and she, sa- she sings this. Excuse me, sir, what did you say? When you shout so loud, it's hard to tell. You say that I must change my ways, for I am surely bound to hell. You say you know. You say you've read that holy Bible up on your shelf. Do you recall when Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged yourself? And that's you know, a direct quote from Matthew 7, 1. Well, I know you'd damn me if you could, but my friend, that's simply not your call. If God is great and God is good, why is your heaven so small? But my friend, imagine, if you would, a love much mightier than us all. Oh, if God is great and God is good, why is your heaven so small? It's a good question. It's a a, right and righteous and just question. Here's the good news today. This is the main teaching I want to draw out of this passage. The true judge has laid down his verdict. It's already been laid down. Here it is. Father, forgive them all. That's what Jesus says on the cross, right? To those killing him, to these, maybe these very people in our passage, Father, forgive them all. You see, it's, it's up to God, not you or me. That is, salvation is up to God, not you, not me. And that's good news because God is love. God is radically inclusive. Christianity in its authentic, purest form 
is not exclusive at all. It is radically inclusive, but it always, when that message goes out of the gospel, the raw kind of pure gospel, it always incites a backlash. And we see this happening. Uh, we saw it throughout Acts, if y'all were here for that sermon series, time and time again as the early church is beginning to blossom. And what well, began with our master first. Um, with Jesus. And we see, we'll see this in John time and time again. We'll see this backlash. And it's a backlash. It's rooted in an ego. You see, ego, which religion, a lot of people treat religion and church as, as just a, a structure, an institution to stroke our own ego. And that's when it creates the worst in people. It can. Religion can certainly do that. Um, and ego needs to exclude others so it feels good about itself. It needs to position, and we, need to, we feel the need to position ourselves, therefore, above others. And so there has to be this binary, this dualism. There has to be bad and good people. And you know, our friends at Western Correctional Center, as I say oftentimes, society has labeled them bad. And they are bent upon, when you get out, getting the bad people back in, eradicating the bad people from society, right? That's all ego. That is what, that's worldliness that the Bible is talking about. That's, that's what it means to be worldly, actually. It's to be addicted to ego. And unless we admit our powerlessness against it, that is, the, that is what we will do. That's the way we will live. So Jesus is preaching this radically inclusive message. And right here we see a backlash from God's people. Um, and this is the same song, just different verse that we're in in 2023, right? The same thing continu- continues to happen. But even in, but certainly in Jesus' day, these were even the religious leaders, you know, the, the leaders of God's people, who thought following the Bible meant killing another human being. They were very justified, they felt, in their anger, in their persecution, and in their attempt now, which we will see unfold, and they will be successful, in fact, in eventually killing God, God the Son, because guess what? God isn't holy enough for them. <laughs> so this is what we'll see unfold. They, they think they're following the Bible, and, and we, we see the same kind of thing unfold today, uh, don't we? Um, but here's the thing. Anytime the Bible becomes more important than people, now for them it was the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. Now, anytime the Bible becomes more important than people, we have completely misunderstood the message of the Bible. We've completely gone off course. And instead, what happens is people, religious, well-meaning religious people who take the Bible seriously and are Bible-believing end up unintentionally idolizing the median over the message who is Christ who is love. It, it's, it happens very subtly. This is, what's, this is what we see happening, though, here and also today. What's the message of the Bible? It's love for all <laughs> and inclusion, not love for law and exclusion. Big difference. The message of the Bible is love for all and inclusion, not love for law, L-A-W, and exclusion. And these folks, well-meaning folks, have completely 
miss the whole point. And I believe Susan Werner is singing about the same types of people. The ego seeks power through exclusion, and many use religion and the Bible to that end, to serve their ego, not to serve God. That's what's going on. Um, Well, here's good news. It's up to God, not you (laughs) and not me. And the judge, who is the son, we see here, the father gives authority to the son to judge the world. And his verdict is, Father, forgive them all. His sentence is life, not death. Look at verse 20 um, and and following there in the the text. Again, this is the message, and and Eugene Peterson uh, is getting at the, the sense here of what's going on in the Greek when it says, but you haven't seen the half of it. This is Jesus talking. For in the same way that the Father raises, present tense, mind you, raises the dead and creates life, so does the Son. The Son gives life to anyone he chooses. Who does he choose? Everyone. (laughs) Neither he nor the Father shuts anyone out. That's good news. Um, If you need heaven to be small, if you, if, if, also you may run into people like this too who seem to be very excited about people going to hell. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. It definitely doesn't match the character of the Christ that we see on display in the Bible. That's that's what the Bible is meant to do is shine a light actually off of itself onto the one who is love made flesh. In um in First Corinthians, Paul, I want us to to, to kind of now this this is mysterious. But I want us to actually hear what the Bible is saying, uh, because the ultimate work of the Son is to give life, as we just read, by removing death. That's the ultimate work of the Son, is to give life by removing death. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the message translation again, it was sin that made death so frightening, and law, co- law code guilt that gave sin its leverage. It's destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Friends, this is why, yeah, I'm I'm glad some of y'all were clapping when Jane read John 3.17. Like, you know, as I said to our friends this morning, they have bigger problems in prison. How about death? What if death is removed? then what, what are we afraid of? This is, you heard it, this is what Paul, this is, these are his exact words. This is what he's saying. This is a, as sure as done. And so Paul will mock death right before this and say, oh, death, where is your sting? You see, the power has been taken out because divinity has gone into the grave and come back. It's the good news of the gospel. Death couldn't hold God. Death couldn't hold divinity. Christ gives us now the victory over death. So there's no more sting. In, in, in a, like a more literal translation, it says that sin is the sting of death. And so what Jesus has done in the gospel is remove the sting, which is sin. Remove the power of sin. We're no longer under that dominion. And so when Jesus, I kind of think when he told that man at the pool of Bethesda after healing him, When he said, now sin no more, I think that was more a declaration than a command. 
It's been dealt with. It's going to be dealt with as, as what Jesus will do. And then he did it. He dealt with the sting. The sting's been removed, as it were. Now, we still sin, but the sting and the power of sin and how, how it can destroy lives has been removed. We no longer have to be under its dominion. That's good news. N.T. Wright puts it this way. The miracle of resurrection is taking place inside them. Those who encounter Jesus, like, like now, like before you die. The miracle of resurrection is taking place inside them so that when they finally die physically, that event will be irrelevant to the new life they already have. That's good. That's put really well. It, yeah, Jane can talk about her funeral now because it's in the grand scheme of things, it's irrelevant. It will have zero impact on us when we die. Now, it, we will still mourn. If the Lord tarries and doesn't come back and before heaven and earth marry, which is what Revelation's talking about in a beautiful way, before we get to the new and improved Eden, people pass. They, they, they pass from this realm. They transition into another. It feels like death to us. It does not to them. And one day that veil, which is death, which is what people pass through, will be removed completely. And faith will become sight. <laughs> And hard times will be no more. Lastly, um, we are meant to experience this life now. Are, are you? Are you experiencing this life now? Um, if not, there is, there is something wrong. You see, God's done the work of salvation. Our part to play, as it were, is whether or not we live into it. <laughs> The hard, the heavy lifting has been done. God has done the work of salvation. Are we experiencing it is the only question. Are we living into it is the only question. Um, Richard Rohr, his, this is the daily Sunday Richard Rohr portion of the sermon. Um, he, uh, he's on, he's, there's a podcast through the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is um, this amazing place I want to go to at some point in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that he started. And that's a beautiful name for any organization, the Center for Action and Contemplation. And he says the most important word is and. Action and contemplation meant to go together, but I like the action as first. Um, so they, they, one of the things they do is they produce, um, it's really about exploring the contemplative life, the, the mystical life, and, and they put, produce a lot of podcasts, and I recommend them all. Uh, one that, that you can listen to is called um, Another Name for Everything, and in that podcast, um, he's t- they're talking about one of his books, and in this one episode, he's, ta- he's being interviewed by two people that work for the, the CAC, and one of the, well, there's a lady and a man, and the, and the lady, like maybe some of you, uh, were, was once in like a more fundamentalist space, religiously speaking, in, in terms of like the Christian space and a, an evangelical space. And, and as many people are doing right now, it's sort of rethought a lot of that, deconstructed a lot of that, and as you should. Um, and she asked Roar this question. Listen to what, what she says. She says, I'm one of many for whom there's been a loss of faith for the institutional church. I wonder what Christianity would look like if truly lived out according to the way of Christ, according to radical inclusivity, 
That's a great question. It's a question I'm asking. I, I work, you know, for the church, right? I, I'm asking myself, one of the prevailing questions for me right now is, what's the point of church? Is there a, is there a point to my job? If so, what is it? Is there a point to being a pastor? Is there a purpose for church? Uh, listen to how Roar responds. I think this is a great response to that question. He says, I would think, you know, if the church became what the church is meant to be, and, and has been at times, I would think, he says, it would become more of a service station or what Pope Francis calls a field hospital on the edge of the battlefield. A service station where anybody can stop in and say, I need help. I've got a flat tire. I need gas. Now, he anticipates the question that, that, that I, I, I wonder about too. Um, because, I th- you see, I, don't think, I think if the church is done the way church is meant to be done, there's no need even for a membership role. Things happen organically. Um, but it's true, people can kind of just come and go. The door is always open. How can you have a community that way with folks that only show up very seldom, right? He anticipates that question. This is what he says. He says, I know this risk creating entirely utilitarian people who just come when they need a fix. But what the 12-step program reveals, like the 12 steps of AA and What it reveals is, yes, people do come when they need a fix, but the depth of their woundedness gives them an inherent desire to help other people, to be a sponsor for other people. You see, this is the key, and you hear me say this all the time. It's it's very simple. It's not complicated, but, but this is rare, unfortunately. You have to know that you're sick. You have to first know that you need healing, if you come to church without that understanding, without that self-awareness, yeah, they're really, it will do nothing for you, right? So that's number one, is you have to first know that you need healing. And then you come to the service station, you, you get a prescription, you, you actually get medicine, actually, not, not a prescription, you get medicine right then and there from the doctor who is Jesus, the Christ, and it's the medicine of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness, but you have to first say, my name's Chad, and I am an addict. I am powerless against my own ego. Good news, here's mercy, here's grace, here's forgiveness. You, but you, you, you won't even reach out your hand if you don't first know, that you know your own powerlessness, right? And so that has to be number one. You have to first understand you need healing, and this is how you know you're experiencing healing. You will naturally want to start helping others. If you're not naturally serving others, and I mean like people to your right and your left right here, <laughs> then again, something is off. Something, maybe you don't have great self-awareness yet that you need healing. Um, pray for that. Uh, you don't have to look very far before you begin to realize the broken things about you. <laughs> Right? But once you realize you need healing, a barometer that you're actually taking the medicine of mercy and grace is you will naturally want to help the person sitting on your left or your right. Um, we also offer, uh, I mean, and, and you can, I, I hope that y'all are doing that throughout the week, right? This is the service station. You're coming to get the medicine, and then, you know, Monday through Saturday, you're serving others. 
Service keeps you sober, right? That's what, that's what it's, it's said all the time in AA um, circles. So throughout the week, there are opportunities to serve other people. Hopefully it's these people. This is what will make us a community <laughs> is when that starts happening. And, I, and I, it can't be programmed. It can't be structured. It just happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you realize you need help, a barometer that you're receiving help and healing and transformation is you will begin serving others uh, here. And then also we offer opportunities through 12 Baskets uh, or we encourage opportunities there and through also through Western Correctional Center for Women. It's why our friends are here so we can be around them and experience Jesus through them for us and them. It's a mutual benefit that occurs when we serve others. We find that actually what's happening is they are serving me. That's how you know you're experiencing healing. It's, it's definitely not a coincidence that I, there's something beautiful happening among you all. It is not a coincidence that those who are experiencing the most healing in life are those that come to the service station and those that serve others in this community and in the wider community of Asheville. It's not a coincidence. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it. Those, those people, that you, are the ones that are really experiencing this life that Jesus has come to give. And there's more of it. <laughs> it's inexhaustible. Well, what's the good news, Jesus? Here it is. It's not up to you. <laughs> it's up to God. Salvation is up to God. Not you, not me. So I can't ruin it, neither can you. Salvation is up to God, not you. And here's what the Son has for us. The Son gives life to anyone he chooses. Who does the Son choose? Well, neither he nor the Father shuts anyone out. It's for all. Undeserved grace for all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need that. Undeserved grace. If, if we had to deserve it, well, I'm, I'm out. I already failed that. Long, long time ago. I need, and I think my friends too need, help us to receive it. Help us to first admit that we need it, which means admitting that we are wrong and we commit wrongs so that we might then receive the new life that you come to bring, Jesus. Jesus.